Hey, everybody. Welcome to the weekly show where we take a look back and forward at some of the biggest news affecting the sport that we love. Whether it's a broken home run record, a famous player's birth, or a major franchise trade, we'll have it all covered. I'm Jeff Lambert, and this is This Week in Baseball History. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another week, another episode of This Week in Baseball History. I'm your host, Jeff Lambert. It's great to be back with you. It's been a while since an episode has come out. My apologies for that. Some family things going on. The holidays get crazy. End of year at work. But I'm back. I'm ready to be able to get in front of this microphone and start things off again. And we're going to go through, as we always do, the top events that happened this week. Let's go ahead and get to it. On December 18th, 1952, Hank Greenberg exited as the manager of the Cleveland Indians. There was a feud between Hank Greenberg and Ellis Ryan, a power struggle that erupted in the Cleveland Indians' front office in 1950. Greenberg had retired as a player in 1947, and at this time he was the general manager of the Indians, and he helped them win a World Series in 1948. But then, a guy named Ellis Ryan, who was a wealthy businessman, bought the team from Bill Veck in 1949, and wanted to have more control over the baseball operations. So Ryan and Greenberg clashed over several issues, such as player trades, salaries, and scouting. And Ryan also resented Greenberg's popularity and influence with the fans and the media. So he tried to undermine Greenberg's authority by hiring his own advisors and interfering with Greenberg's decisions at every turn. And Greenberg, who had a contract that gave him full autonomy as the general manager, really resisted Ryan's meddling and defended his policies, saying that he was in the right that he had the control to do what he wanted to do. So this feud reached a climax in October of 1950 because Ryan fired Greenberg after the Indians finished in fourth place in the American League. Now, Greenberg was shocked and he was angered by this dismissal. So he considered it a breach of contract and a betrayal, and he sued Ryan for $1 million in damages. Remember, this is 1952. Now, that was settled out of court, and on this date in 1952, Greenberg was awarded a $75,000 indemnity and was released from his contract uh, with the Cleveland Indians. And then Greenberg later came back and he became a part owner and executive of the Chicago White Sox. But Ryan, just a year after having this decision, ended up selling the Indians in 1953 and he died shortly after in 1956. On December 19, 1934, the great Al Kaleen was born in Baltimore. Al was easily one of the greatest players of all time. He played for 22 seasons for the Detroit Tigers. He was a right fielder and a first baseman. And just to honor him, let's go through some of his remarkable achievements. Number one, he was the youngest player the American League had ever seen win a batting title. He did it in 1955 at the age of 20. He hit 340 that year, and he led the league with 200 hits. He was selected to 18, yeah, I said 18 All-Star games, including 13 consecutive appearances from 1955 to 1967. And he also won 10 Gold Glove Awards for his excellent defense in the outfield. He was also a key member of the 1968 World Series championship team. Uh, he hit 379 that season with two home runs and eight RBIs in a seven-game series 
against the St. Louis Cardinals, where we saw the Tigers win the World Series. He reached the milestone of 3,000 career hits in 1974 and became the 12th player in MLB history to do that. He finished his overall career with 3,007 hits, 399 homers, 1,583 RBIs, and a 297 batting average. And of course, he was elected to the Hall of Fame in 1980 in his first year of eligibility. He received 88.3% of the votes. Impressive. He's also the first player to have his number retired by the Detroit Tigers, number six, which of course still stands to this day. So Al Kaling, complete legend of the game, beloved figure in Detroit. He ended up dying on April 6, 2020 at the age of 85. But on this date, on December 19th, that was when he was welcomed into the world. On December 20th, 1929, the Red Sox fired their manager, Bill Kerrigan. Let's talk about it. Bill Kerrigan was the player manager for the Boston Red Sox from 1913 to 1916, and he led them to two World Series titles in 1915 and 1916. He was also the first manager for Babe Ruth, who on several occasions said that Bill Kerrigan was the, excuse me, yeah, Kerrigan. I don't know why I thought I said that wrong. Kerrigan praised, uh, he praised Bill Kerrigan as one of the best managers that he ever played for as the best manager he ever played for, excuse me. However, after that 1916 season, Kerrigan decided to retire from baseball at the age of 32, the ripe old age of 32, right? He wanted to spend more time with his family, and he had a theater business on the side, and he had actually invested in that theater company with his former teammate, Red Sox great Tris Speaker. So the Red Sox owner at the time, who was Harry Frazee, tried to persuade Kerrigan to stay, went to him and said, please, please stick around. But Kerrigan said, no, I really want to retire, focus on other things in life. And Frazee got upset with him and fired him, claiming that Kerrigan had violated his contract by announcing his retirement without the owner's consent. So Frazee also accused Kerrigan, just to rub it in, of being disloyal and ungrateful to the Red Sox organization. So it's the classic, you can't fire me, I quit situation, I guess, that Kerrigan had to go with. But what a mess for a guy who did a lot for the organization, tried to walk away peacefully, didn't work out that way. Kerrigan was also hurt by Frazee's actions. He sued him for $100,000 in damages, and that lawsuit was settled out of court. He ended up getting $25,000. He got released from his contract. He focused on his theater business, which became very successful, actually. And he came back later on after the owner was gone, and he became a part-time scout for the Red Sox. So, interesting return to that. Um, Kerrigan lived a long life. He retired from the theater company after and then being a scout for the Sox for a while. He became a bank president in his hometown of Lewiston, Maine, and he died there in 1969. On December 21st, 1944, we saw the National League conclude a nail-biter of an MVP race. So this particular year was one of the closest and most controversial in baseball history. Now, on the American League side, it was easy. Hal Newhauser, who was a pitcher for the Detroit Tigers, won easily, had an amazing season. But the National League had a tougher decision. On the one hand, they had Bill Nicholson, who was an outfielder for the Chicago Cubs, and he led the National League in home runs and RBIs. He had a powerful season at the plate. He hit two eighty seven. 33 home runs and 122 RBI, and he also hit four home runs in one game, well, in a doubleheader, in one day, I should say. 
on July 23, which tied a major league record. So he had a monster season. And then you had Marty Marion. He was a shortstop for the St. Louis Cardinals, and he had helped lead the team to the National League pennant in the World Series. And Marion was a superb defensive player, no doubt about it, but his offensive numbers were very modest. He only hit 267 that season, with six home runs and 63 RBI. The MVP voting was conducted by the Baseball Writers Association of America. There were two writers from each National League city who cast ballots, and each writer would rank 10 players with 14 points for first place, 9 for second, 8 for third, and so on. The winner for that season was Marty Marion, who received 190 points, including seven first-place votes. Nicholson finished second, just one point behind Marion. And the MVP race was widely criticized by many baseball fans and experts after that decision went public. They felt that Marion didn't deserve the award over Nicholson, and some even accused the writers of favoring the St. Louis Cardinals because there were four players that finished in the top 10 from that team, while the Cubs only had one, which was Nicholson. So that 1944 MVP race remains one of the most disputed and debated in baseball history. On December 22, 1939, Al Ferreira, the great Dodgers star, was born. That's right. He was a baseball player who played for the LA Dodgers, the San Diego Padres, and the Cincinnati Reds from 1963 to 1971. He was nicknamed the Bull for his strength and power. All you got to do is look at the picture that I include in the newsletter to get why. Here's some of his career highlights if you're not familiar. He won two World Series titles with the Dodgers in 1963 and 1965. He really marked one of those by hitting a home run in Game 4 of the 1965 World Series against the Minnesota Twins. He was the first player to hit a home run at San Diego Stadium, which was the home of the Padres. He did that in 1969. He also hit the first Grand Slam in Padres history on May 5th, 1969. He had his best season in 1970. He batted 277 with 26 home runs and 84 RBIs for the Cincinnati Reds. He was named the National League Player of the Month that June when he hit 373 with 10 homers and 29 RBI. He was also an accomplished piano player, and he had a successful theater that he ran in the offseason uh, and continued to after his baseball career. And he also appeared in several TV shows and movies from the time period. He was a guest star on The Odd Couple, The Rockford Files, and he had a part in The Godfather Part 3. So Al Ferreira retired with a career batting average of .259, had 51 home runs, and 198 RBI in 574 games. He is remembered as a fan favorite and a clutch player at the plate. On December 23, 1953, Junior Gillum clinched the National League Rookie of the Year for the Dodgers. Junior was a second baseman and a third baseman for the Brooklyn Dodgers, who had an outstanding debut season in 1953. He led the NL with 17 triples, he scored 125 runs, and he batted 278. He was also an excellent defensive player, and he stole 21 bags. So that earned him the NL Rookie of the Year and he beat out Pirates pitcher Harvey Haddix. He went on to help the Dodgers win the pennant and reach the World Series, where they lost to the New York Yankees in six games. Now, Gillum went on to have a great career. He was the first black player to win the Rookie of the Year award, and he was the third overall after Jackie Robinson and Don Newcomb. He's also the first player to wear the number 19 for the Dodgers, which was later retired in his honor. And last but not least, on December 24, 1967, 
Red Sox ace Jim Lomborg had a skiing mishap that altered his career forever. So Jim Lomborg, star pitcher for the Boston Red Sox, he won the American League Cy Young Award in 1967 early on in his career, and he had an amazing start. He finished that season leading the lead in wins, strikeouts, and ERA, and he helped the Red Sox win the pennant and reach the World Series. But after the season ended in December of 1967, he tore a ligament in his left knee when he went skiing up in New Hampshire. He had to undergo surgery, and he missed most of the following 1968 season. He never regained his dominant form, and his career declined somewhat quickly afterwards. He ended up playing for the Milwaukee Brewers and the Philadelphia Phillies later on, but he retired in 1979, so we're looking at a 12-year career tops. And one that was certainly uh, began incredibly promising, didn't really end that great. He posted okay numbers. He finished his career with a record of 157 and 137. He had an ERA of 386, and he threw 1,475 strikeouts, but nowhere near the promise that he showed early on in his career before that accident. Now, after he finished his career, he went on to become a dentist and a winemaker. So good for Jim, but certainly sad that that had to happen to put such a uh, different path for him in terms of his baseball career. Well, folks, that does it for this week. I hope you like the longer content. I wanted to jump in and do a little bit more on these um, to give you a little more depth into some of these daily um, events that took place. So give me some feedback. Let me know what you think, if you preferred the more concise ones or if you like these more more, uh, uh, extensive explanations. I'd be happy to hear your feedback. Thanks again for supporting this show. It means a lot to me. I will see you next week. Until then, have a wonderful holiday. Take care.